Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today, I sit down with five-time Winter Olympian Lydia Lassila. Lassila. The back lay, full double, full double. She celebrates it. The true Olympic ideal, coming back from adversity, past injury, past failure, to become an Olympic champion. Hello. Can you hear me? Yay! <laughs> You're all over it. So tech savvy. So, so, so savvy. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? Yeah, good, good. It's nice to connect. I don't think we've properly spoken. Yeah, I don't think so. I was thinking that I don't think I've actually met you, but I feel like I've followed you forever. So, <laughs> like I've known yeah, you as same. an athlete, obviously, for, for literally forever. And we've probably been in the same room. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Where are you guys? Are you in Brizzy state? Because where are you based? You're in Finland now. Yeah, we decided to come here at the end of last year, so the start of December, um, and we were kind of thinking we'll do, because to leave the country you need to be gone for, you know, three months or more. Mm. And so Lowry, my husband's parents, are over here, so we thought and they'd been, you know, a year without seeing us, so mm. we thought it was the right time to kind of get out and come and spend some time with them, and we've always wanted to um, put the kids into school here and and do a bit of a longer stint. We've spent a lot of time here, but but actually kind of just dive in and get them in school. And yeah, um, so we decided to do that and thought it was great timing, which it has been. It's been the best thing we've done. So we had a whole winter season in Levy, which is a, a ski resort up in the Arctic Circle. Wow. And so we got there and it was, you know, dark all the time, very, very cold and put the kids in a local school there and away we went, you know. Had a six month long ski season because it's super long. Is is that like just like <laughs> heaven for you guys, or is it like is it nice to be able to share with your boys? I, I assume they already knew how to ski and snowboard and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just nice to experience a real winter, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a full on winter. You know, with the whole darkness and you've got the northern lights and you've got lots and lots of snow and and living in that environment. I think is you know, different to just visiting mm. that environment. So, you know, walking to school, you know, we had a stretch there where it was minus 40 and and for three days and our, so our car just wouldn't start and, and nothing starts. And so it was kind of like, and I thought my hubby would be like, okay, let's get a taxi to school. Yeah. But no, <laughs> he made them walk. And, oh then, and then my youngest son, Alec, who was like five at the time, he's like, Dad, what what do I wear? Um, he's like everything, <laughs> everything in your wardrobe. Put it on and let's go. <laughs> That's hectic. I can't even imagine that. Um, especially as a swimmer, I think for me, I'm like <laughs> in Brisbane now. It's too cold for me. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty. It was a bit of a shock to all of us, though. But I think you'll never, you know, we'll never forget those things. So. Mm. Pretty cool um, and pretty funny. Thank you so much for, you know, giving me your time. Like it's, yeah, it's always such a privilege um, to be able to connect with someone who I just 
so greatly admire and especially I think oh, oh you're very kind um but I think like particularly for me coming from the summer olympics <laughs> there's always this I just can't quite get my head around winter olympians <laughs> and what you guys do <laughs> it's just it's remarkable that you kind of especially especially aerials like I like to throw yourself down a hill and then leap off this enormous thing, <laughs> jump, I guess you'd call white, it. White wall of death. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, like, you do it on purpose. Like, you choose to do it <laughs> for one. And not only yeah. did you choose to do it once, but you did it over five Olympics. Like, I think that for me to do something that is so incredibly dangerous over such a long period of time is just, I mean, it's amazing. It's remarkable. Oh, thanks. I think, you know, the summer, summers, we call you guys the summers <laughs> <laughs> and we're the winters. <laughs> no, there's, there is sometimes a little bit of a disconnect, isn't there? And I think growing up in Australia with winter sport, you know, it's so foreign to a lot of us. It was foreign to me as well. You know, until I started, I came from a summer sport, it's gymnastics and then, made the transfer across and yeah it is it is a different um it's a different vibe I mean all of us you know we, we spend countless hours up and down that pool training in the gym you know all of the kind of the groundwork that's involved in being an athlete the whole process and so much preparation and then for, for winters a lot of the sports you're adding that element of fear and anxiety and adrenaline and death and risk <laughs> every day yeah yeah so yeah now that I'm retired, I look back and I'm like, gosh, that's a long time to kind of go to bed at night going, please be okay tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself, you know. Like, so you've, you've kind of got the performance at the forefront of your mind. You obviously want to focus on performance and improving and hitting those benchmarks. But then it, there's always that, you know, you're on guard. You're mm. on guard all the time to, and that's, that's fear, but that's a good thing because it's there to protect you and just make sure you make the right decisions, you know. So that element is quite taxing and that element over a long period of time and that element, you know, is hard to cope. But I think, you know, you ask any of the, you know, the winter athletes or any athlete, you kind of just take it all in because it's what you want to do, it's what you love doing and you take on the risk, you take on board the risk. And that's kind of, I guess, yeah, I did for a long time and, you realise that you know, you're aware. It's not like we're just crazy. Mm. <laughs> but I think that makes like you, you even more courageous to- because you, you are aware and you do know. Yeah, and you learn to manage it. And I think it's such a great skill to be able to look at fear and go, okay, I know you're there and I know the way you make me feel to, mm. to help you overcome, whether it's coming back from an injury or whether it's coming back from a bad performance or whether you're doing a new skill that you've never tried for the first time and, so after you kind of retire and you realise that you have these moments in life all the time, whether it's starting a new job or meeting new people for the first time, you know, and I know that that was the case for me going to a, a brand new school in Finland in the dark just recently and like not being able to speak the language fluently and feeling, you know, that, that sense of fear again. And, you know, the, the thoughts kind of go through your mind like, okay, just, We'll get through one one meet at a time, one day at a time, and this will, you know, this will become eventually normal. But it's a life skill. Yeah, it's a pretty cool life skill. I, I, yeah, the way that you speak about that is so true because it's. 
I think as athletes, you just kind of get used to this level of kind of fear and almost anxiety because you're like constantly wanting to perform and, and get these things out of yourself and your body that you kind of get used to it. But then you can kind of still get those moments, like you said, like walking the kids to school or moving halfway around the world or um, yeah, whatever. Yeah, for a talk, yeah. you know, or a presentation. Yeah, I, I think fear is a funny thing Like, and, and being an athlete is a funny thing and I, I guess you would – agree with me here, Libby, but, you know, you're, you're always operating at, I suppose, say, say this is your baseline, you know, where, where we are here and now we're sitting having, you know, a little chat and drinking a cup of coffee and this is normal life for us. But as an athlete, you're kind of elevated all the time above the baseline and you've got different concoctions of, you know, chemicals going on and you've got adrenaline and fear and anxiety and, and you just, operating like above the baseline all the time and then you know you come back from a a major season or event and there's this kind of dip you know you lose your motivation you're tired you're lethargic and it's like it's a depression because you're coming back from I guess a high level of anxiety and adrenaline go 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 to baseline but it's not like a a dip underneath you know Mm. you're just adjusting to baseline that's that's kind of how, yeah, I've always thought about it and mm. explained it, that what we do as athletes isn't quite normal. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Travelling the world, you know, and you've got these performance benchmarks and, you know, all this anxiety and stress and adrenaline and amazing feelings and ter- terrible feelings all mixed into kind of few, you know, really concentrated moments. And then you come back to normal and it feels like a little bit, mm underwhelming like you're back in the kitchen making school lunches and Mm. whatnot you know it's like oh (laughs) I mean just on that like how do you find those moments because that that's the thing as an athlete right like you you build up to these moments you're you know you're you've got these four-year cycles that you're working towards to have this moment to achieve what you've wanted to achieve and then you get to do it and then you're right. It's completely underwhelming when you <laughs> like, I mean, obviously you, yeah, that's yeah <laughs> like obviously it's awesome yeah. to achieve and obviously you've achieved at the highest level of your sport, but then you come home and it's like, well, the kids still need to, <laughs> cause you had kids while you were still competing as well. So it's like, how do you, yeah. how do you manage that? Uh, I was always like, I'd come back from the season because we spent a lot of time overseas as a winter athlete. You've got to spend about nine to 10 months away every year. So it's a long time on the road and you're kind of sleeping in and out of Australia and um, getting a small taste of home and then having to go away again and you're leaving family and friends behind and all that. So it was always great to come home after a season and see everybody. But there's certainly, I used to call it the post-season blues where mm. you just kind of you stop and you're adjusting back down to baseline and you realise that everything is as it is when you left it mm. <laughs> normally and it's lovely to be home and connect. But, you know, your goals have kind of stopped for, for a moment until you readjust again and, and retweak them and, and make new ones. So it's just an adjustment period, which which is also dangerous, I guess, for for retiring athletes, you know, coming out of sport and and they've made that decision to retire and then they've, you know, they've got the double whammy of finishing a major event and then realising, oh, that's not going to be happening anymore, yeah. you know. I need yeah. to adjust to a different life. And that can take so much, that can take very varying amounts of time and, and, and affect different athletes so so differently. 
and I guess for me to make that transition a bit easier, I had, you know, kids already. Um, I had a family and I had a business that I was running as an athlete. And so I always made sure I had some other things that I was interested in or, or that were important to me, you know, other priorities. And it, it wasn't, even though sport was at the forefront or took priority at some point, it wasn't the only priority in my life. And that allowed me when I came home, I just kind of switched gears. All right, now it's family time. Now it's business time. Now it's, you know, and it's compartmentalized in that way. And I think over time that made the transition process for me from, from being an athlete in this go, go, go lifestyle to then coming back, adjusting and saying, okay, well, now I dive into business. Now it's about family. Now it's about other projects or passions that I haven't been able to do and now I can, you know. Mm. So, yeah, there is, there's, there's that, um, I guess that danger zone for a lot of athletes, you know, adjusting back to kind of that reality and, and then, and then finding a new passion, you know, finding who they are outside sport is, is quite tricky. Yeah. Cause I, I just, I'm really interested in your journey because a lot of what you've created post sport started while you were still competing. And I don't know that people necessarily know the story of how you started your business because essentially it's because you got majorly injured. <laughs> Um, a couple of times and you got out of necessity you created this amazing business yeah I um you know I was pretty intense athlete and at one point that was the you know before kids and before you know um marriage and all responsibilities and before owning a home and you know I was like 100% tunnel vision towards my sport and wanting to achieve everything that that you know, that I, that I dreamt about that it was Olympic gold, breaking records, you know, doing the hardest trick women had done before. And that was, that was all I could think about, you know, like most young athletes. And so it started to go a little bit pear shaped. I, you know, I, I never had a problem with, um, creating this, these big difficult goals for myself, but I wasn't a very good planner and I overtrained and I pushed really too hard and was a bit, you know, reckless, I guess, with my body. And so I got injured a lot and then I really got injured in, in the 2005, 2006 period where I blew my knee about six months before the Torino Winter Olympic game. So that was a big spanner in the works, as you can imagine, going for, for major surgery before an Olympic when, you know, those were the ones that were like, no, nah, I'm going to win these, you know, mm. doing triple somersaults and everything was kind of looking on track. So that, you know, it was all about just, recovering then I had this kind of radical surgery and and a race towards the Olympics to try and um you know replace my torn ACL with um I had a cadaver replacement graft so an Achilles tendon from a dead person put in so that I could try and recover um as quickly as possible to to the game so I did all the rehab and I made it there and, and I did one world cup before the Olympics in Torino and I won it so I thought all right after all that, I'm kind of back, back, you know, in the yeah. race at least. Flew over to Torino, legs blew up mm. and just like it was a nightmare. I was getting stuck on the stairs. My legs, my knee were just locked. I couldn't even get sick over on the bike because it was just like, you know, it, and I knew something was brewing, but I was jumping really well. And I don't know how. I, I don't know how, but I was kind of getting through. And um, 
yeah, one jump left on the semi-finals and just, yeah, landed and felt that familiar map <laughs> explosion in my knee. Just, you know, that familiar and, old thing. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that kind of just sucks, that feeling. <laughs> and it was horrible and, yeah, one jump away from the finals, you know. And you, as you said, you work a four-year block, you know, towards Olympics and it was over in an instant. So I blew my knees, you know, twice in, in six months. So that was that was a bit of a Debbie Downer. Um, <laughs> really hard to <laughs> stomach at the time. And I thought, you know, you feel like your life kind of your world's over. So I decided to have a year off. Decided to have a year off and have proper surgery um, where they used my hamstring as a tendon, as a graft, and replaced um, my ACL. And I, I was in and out of surgery. I had about four for it to, to fix up. So I was icing my knee a lot. And I was sitting in the, this is before I left her, and I was sitting in the um, athlete village with you know, a few friends around and had this bag of ice kind of balancing on my, on my leg and it was leaking, leaking and, and dripping all over the place and I was pretty frustrated at the time. Anyway, so yes. I picked it up and threw it down on the ground and I'm like, so much is okay. A decent bloody ice pack that doesn't leak and slip all over the place. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like well, moment goes off and everyone's looking at me and they're like, yeah, you should do that. <laughs> You've hurt every part of your body. <laughs> you know what's in me. You've had injuries. <laughs> you know what it's like. <laughs> so pretty much I, I flew home from Torino and I couldn't sleep a wink. I think James Tompkins was sitting next to me as my chaperone. <laughs> he was like the athlete liaison and and. Every time I close my eyes, it's the, you know, the nightmare replay. Mm. And so I just got my, my journal out and I started sketching the, the first designs of these joint-specific ice packs. <laughs> and, um, and I knew exactly what I wanted. So I got home and I was, you know, in and out of surgery. And I remember going over to China to meet some suppliers and I was just off crutches. And just dove into a different new project, probably to distract myself from the trauma of what had just happened. Mm. But yeah, I had this idea and, and within six months I had body ice up and running, you know, custom joint specific ice packs that didn't leak and slip all over the place and that would, um, you could travel with and portable and easy to use. And that was something that I needed and I figured a lot of other people needed as well. So yeah, so it was, um, it was a good year off actually. It was a bit, probably the best thing that could have happened to me because one, I managed to get this business off the ground, which then formed you know, my security later on, it, it mm. formed to be my sponsor, if you wish, and, and a reliable source of income that, you know, as you know, for athletes, it's bleeding, it's, it comes, it's very particular, it's mm. off and on, it's, you never know, you know, when you're going to get a sponsorship or an endorsement. Um, and so Body Ice became, you know, that kind of financial security, which is rare, I think, as an athlete in Olympic sports, depends what sport you're in. And that then gave me the freedom to do things that, that I probably couldn't have done, you know, before, like hire extra psychological help or, and, or equipment and things that I really needed that I think thought could enhance my performance and training. So that year off, yeah, started a business. I got married, had plenty of distractions mm. um, and really, I guess, transformed as an athlete because that's probably the pivotal point where I started really investing in my mind, you know, and. Um, to help me overcome what I'd gone through, but then to project forward into the next Olympics and into who I wanted to become at that stage. And, you know, I still had really major goals. I didn't want to let, you know, injury kind of 
I didn't want to stop, you know, because of that injury. I didn't want it to turn me from what I really wanted to still achieve in the sport. And so I rallied a really, for the first time in my career, rallied a really strong team around me, like little kind of eighteen, and mm. um, that included, you know, medical professionals. It included my mental trainer. It included a new coach as well. That everyone just bought into what I wanted to do, you know, and how I wanted to jump. I was, I guess, at the time to be, you know, number one or to win the Olympic gold medal in aerial skiing. You didn't necessarily need to do these triple somersaults that I wanted to do, like the men. You could you could still win with doubles, and so I was kind of getting a lot of resistance from coaches and administration saying you don't have to take the risk, especially after two, you know, knee surgery. Yeah. You don't have to take the risk. You don't need to do these triple somersaults to win. And I was like, nah, but I want to. So <laughs> I want to. So let's do that. So I need to find the people that will help me get there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's it. I just find that story so fascinating because I think so often people have ideas right? They have maybe a business idea or an idea that some, some sort of goal that they want to head towards, but it just sort of stays on the shelf. And I kind of want to understand what it is that you think took you to the next level of actually, you know, sketching, not just sketching, but then going to talk to suppliers and then actually going and creating that. Like, was it simply a distraction did you think very much about it or did you just kind of go into it and try and learn as you as you went yeah there was no business plan certainly not so I'd done it I'd done a um I had a degree in um, applied science so I had a science background a really good understanding of you know the body but in terms of business no nothing so what I did was I enrolled in open universities in that year as well Forgot to mention that. <laughs> just another little just, thing. <laughs> you know, um, not a high performance me, mentality like, at all. Juggling, just juggling 150 million stupid things at once. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't know anything about business, and especially importing from other other countries. Um, I didn't know much about even accounting and sales and marketing. So I just started studying a business degree. Without the intention of finishing, I'd never finished it. I just picked subjects that would fill my kind of knowledge hole, you know, mm. <laughs> and um, and started learning on on the spot. And you know, you learn pretty quickly when you start doing. So basically, I yeah, I had the product. Um, I think the product, you know, was really clear to me and what I wanted and what I needed. And it came from a good place. It was just, and it still is that way to help people recover, you know, from their injuries and and help. Um, and then do that in a way that's natural and, you know, not involving pain medication and, and loads of anti-inflammatory. So it came from a good place. I knew it would work. And then it, then it was a matter of, well, first I'd look if I could do it in Australia, you know, and make these, I went to neoprene companies, a lot of the surfing companies to see, well, they made wetsuits, so mm. surely they can make these stretchy straps for me out of the same material. But I didn't get any luck. And so then I found, you know, this is now nearly, well, this is 2006, I found um, Alibaba, which is very, you know, popular now, but it is a link, it is a doorway to manufacturing in Asia. And so got on there and started buying, finding suppliers and then um, decided to go over to, because they asked me, are you coming to the Canton Trade Fair where we will be exhibiting? And I'm like, 
didn't know about that. So, but yes, I will. Yes, I will. <laughs> and, and, I, and then I did. And I had, you know, my drawings, which um, a friend of mine did at the time. He was studying to be an architect. Wow. <laughs> so he did it for me. And um, an ex-skier as well for Olympics, Adrian Costa. Better give him the plug. He's a very good architect now. But yeah, he just did these drawings for me. I took them over. Um, actually sent them over beforehand and then lined up meetings with different suppliers and then went to the fair as well and found new suppliers and then got some samples sent to me, chose the best ones and away we went. And that it really wasn't that hard. Then I obviously got the stock, you know, and I've got the container in Australia and I'm like, oh, all right, you know, you're learning about inco terms and shipping and freight and, and what it takes to bring you know, import duties and taxes and things like that. So that was a whole new world for me and, and I had to kind of smarten up on pretty quickly. But then it was a sales and marketing kind mm. of arm of it. And I, and I was like, okay, now <laughs> who am I going to sell this to, you know, and how, um, knowing that I'm going to be leaving the country in, you know, six months or so. And so um, I was actually, it was a funny story. I was, I, I had the stock and I hobbled into my surgeon's office I had an, I had an appointment with him and I had a body ice strapped to my knee because I was you know training three times a day in the VIS and in ice baths and icing from here to there and in the car and walked into his the surgical office and he's like what is that I'm like well well <laughs> this is body ice <laughs> these are my joint specific ice and heat packs for um for knees and they don't leak and they don't slip and they stay cold next day in place and so he's like oh I'll order 500 of those and and I was like oh okay great <laughs> ah. I found I, I actually stumbled into my target market amazing <laughs> which which were yeah hospitals and surgeons and the word spread and I thought I'd be kind of contacting lots of sporting teams and physiotherapy but it's not the way it went and then eventually you know organically it really built over time and and I learned over time. So that was kind of the best way, I guess, for me to learn business and, and how to operate and manage a business. And, and it started remotely. You know, I, I put a little team together on the ground, which involved a lot of family members to, <laughs> to send product out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so that they could fulfill when I was away. But I was managing everything for many, many years before I brought on any help um, up until... 2000 and after the Sochi 2014 Olympics. Yeah. So I remember sitting in the ice bath in Vancouver the day before our Olympic final because it was a night event. So you, you know when you've got a night event, you've got all day. Yes. You're waiting around and, you know, you're trying to distract yourself doing things. So I was in the ice bath just, you know, doing invoices and working away yeah. <laughs> until my event at night time. And, and that's how I managed for many years. So you know, now our team is grown. Obviously, the business has grown into different um, products, and you know, I've got a new business in you know uh, Zone, which is eco-conscious yoga products and, and clothing. And the team has expanded, but we're still remote because that's the way we we're born. Mm. And in this day and age, it's the way it's going to stay, and it mm. and it suits us perfectly. So that's a bit of a long-winded. No, I, I think it's really interesting because it was born out of necessity for you. You saw a gap and, you know, I know that kind of how I became aware of what you were doing in business was through Body Ice Women, which yes. <laughs> anyone who's had babies would know. Again. <laughs> all about those products. 
Should we talk about those, Libby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Instead of putting an ice-filled condom on, on your vagina yeah. after babies, you can get a very specific product from you, and it's amazing. And it's pink and it's pretty, and yeah. it doesn't make you feel more general than what you are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not like, cool, I'm going to have an ice-filled condom on my vagina. That's yeah. fun. Oh, well, my post post-birthing story things that we're going into it is um this and this was totally the inspiration behind body ice woman was i just had my first gun kai it was a natural birth a couple of stitches and just did not realize how bloody swollen and sore you are <laughs> right? down like i thought baby comes out right off we go we'll and be fine because <laughs> that's what my mum said you had four kids she's like yeah can't, she can't remember anymore <laughs> you know she's bloody can't remember so anyway, I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, there's a lot of um, fluids yes. <laughs> coming out and all kinds of things. Anyway, so I was sitting in the bed and, and the nurse, and I'm like, I'm really sore. <laughs> and the nurse has kind of come up to me and she's like presented me with this, you know, some gauze and some ice cubes wrapped in the gauze for me to shove down my knickers. And I'm like, really? Like, how is that going to work? So I did it and I put it down. It was wet and cold and leaking all over the place. And you just feel disgusting. You're like, I'm already leaking. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it's just like, yeah, it was just really yucky experience. And um, that was kind of the inspiration behind Body Ice Woman. It was like surely us mums, especially what we've gone through, you know, I don't necessarily need the new fluffy slippers, but I actually need something from my vag because it's on fire right now. (laughs) And my nips because nobody nobody really tells you about that and then they're like, oh, put cabbage on it. (laughs) What? Exactly. So I got home and my milk came in Mm. and my boobs were just like on fire and so sore and and gorge. And so I just got my... um, my ice bags from, you know, our body ice recovery range and filled them up and just chucked them on because that's what I felt like I needed. I mm. need to, like, cook down the tartars. And so then I'm sitting there going, oh, okay, that's <laughs> what we need. <laughs> so, yeah, in between that and my second child, Alec, we, yeah, well, I just developed um, Body Ice Woman, which is, yeah, ice and heat packs for post-birth recovery. Again, you know, Made out of necessity, um, I figured I was in a lot of pain and discomfort. I figured a lot of women were as well. So, yeah, so it was a fun product, but, you know, useful, I guess, in those really intense moments after childbirth where you just really need that instant, you know, relief and you can't take, you know, painkillers and things like that or not, not really advised. Yeah, so, so that's body ice woman. This is what I'm really interested in as, as an athlete how and you know now a parent and understanding what it takes to parent and <laughs> do all of that stuff like how did you go i'm going to have a baby straight after winning gold <laughs> and then i'm going to come back again and go on to win another medal at the olympic games like how how do you manage that physically for one but then like mentally yeah. Also, with the added element of what you do for your sport, which is throwing yourself yeah. down a hill. And I look back now and I'm like, gee, I took a lot on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in between Vancouver and the next Olympic Sochi, yeah, I had, I, I wanted to become a mum, you know, and, and I had it kind of in my 
my mind that my, my mom had four kids before she was 30. Wow. So I was like, okay, I've got to try and have one. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and I just I felt like the right time, you know, but I wanted to continue as an athlete. And I guess I couldn't really find a legitimate reason for why it wasn't possible. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. And so, you know, that little A team kind of then expanded into mum and mother-in-law and obviously Larry was travelling with us a lot as well um, because I wanted, you know, to, to travel with Kai. I wanted him to be, be near me as well. So it was logistically like crazy. Mm. And then, you know, running a business on the side and then I had one little goal that I really wanted to achieve and that was to be the first woman to do a quad-twisting triple somersault on snow. So that was a trick kind of reserved by the men and it was on my bucket list and, yes, I wanted to win a gold medal at the next Olympics. I wanted to defend my title but but this goal became probably even a bit more important to me. So there was a bit going on, motherhood, business, training to do the hardest trick I've ever done before figuring out how to come back as an athlete mum too, you know, the whole physical side of things and my body kind of, you know, I'm not gonna use the word run, but I trained about two I started training about two weeks post birth wow. very gently and, and had really good guidance through that process and we were very, very careful. But, you know, my body did return back to normal and in some ways stronger, but in some ways weaker. Mm. You know, my pelvis had changed. So then I started jumping and, and the, the impact on the pelvis was then a problem. You know, it was a bit unstable and then I, I had a back injury, which was quite significant and things like that to manage that I wasn't quite expecting because they weren't there before, mm. you know. So there was all this learning that were very careful and very measured along the whole way. And that was about the time as well when, Oh, then we had a film crew also following us because they were filming for The Will to Fly, which is my sports documentary. Mm. And so there was a lot of moving parts and a lot of people around and major goals in place and major priorities, not just for, you know, that family and, and a little baby to tend to make sure he was, you know, loved and looked after and so that then I could focus on you know, those moments of the day where I had to be the athlete, you know, or I wanted to be the athlete. Mm. So when I look back now, it was, it was quite a lot to manage. But I think I had a, just a really, I became very good at compartmentalising, very, very good at it. I think I'm a master at it, actually, Olympic champion at compartmentalising. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I actually think as athletes, you learn to compartmentalize from a very young age and because you learn yep. to, and people might, I think, brand it as like selfishness, but it's an ability to just focus on the thing that needs to be focused on That's at that time. Exactly. Yeah. And just switch, switch. The, it's almost like hot and cold tap, you know, like, right, I'm not the mum right now. I'm the athlete. Turn off the cold tap and it's just athlete mode. And then, I get back after training or after a competition and, I, and then I turn on mum mode and turn off the athlete mode and it's that switching in between these these roles and or, or priorities, I guess, isn't it? Like mm. one and trying to focus your attention on one thing at a time and that is a master skill, I think, that we've, we've, we have learnt from a very young age and that, that was how I coped, I guess, you know, taking on more and more responsibility as, as I matured as, mm. as an athlete. That was the only reason how I coped was to the ability to do that. 
I think I was excellent at doing that as an athlete, but I think particularly since becoming a mother, I found it a lot more difficult and you know, I think there's just this expectation of women now that we have to be these incredible mothers, but then if we want to work and have our own goals, then somehow we're not doing the right thing by our children. And I just, yeah, I can't buy into that, but I also am finding it difficult to push back on that. How did you manage that to go from a caring, loving mother to an Olympic athlete? Like that is an intense goal to set. From the very beginning, it sounds like. Yeah, and I think you have to look at, you know, your child as well. Like, are they happy? Yeah. <laughs> or is your partner happy? You know, has everyone bought in? Because I think if if there's some resistance and there's objection, you know, to this the process, something's going to give and something's not going to work and something's going to fall down. And so I had to know that I had the support of my husband, one, but also my mum and my mother-in-law who were and, and au pairs and people that were brought in to help me, you know, and and that wasn't to take care of my kid. It was to be there for the two hours that I had to go and train or the four hours that I had to go and train or compete so that, you know, Kai was loved and well looked after, you know, and so I didn't have to worry. Then I could feel comfortable about going to compete or train and do my thing, knowing that he was safe and loved and looked after and happy. Mm. And I think that's, you know, the important thing. It's not going to float for everybody, mm. but it's no different to a mum returning back to work after she's had children. You know, what is the difference? Yes, okay, I'm doing a sport that takes on a little bit more risk, but I'm a professional at it and I know what I'm doing and, you know, know, to, know how to manage that risk. So I had a lot of resistance, you know, coming back as an athlete mum from media, you know, from family. Don't you think you should, you know, just uh, be a responsible mum now? Mm. Like, you know, all of those things. Especially with but your audacious goal of doing like the like most yeah. difficult. <laughs> Not only am I You're coming so back, stupid. but I'm just going to do the biggest, hardest goal. Triple, what was it? Qu- quad, quad, yes. triple twist somersault. We call it the big daddy. The big daddy. <laughs> I'm going to do the big daddy. And that's Which I made the big mama. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I don't know what was going through my head at those days, but certainly having goals is not a selfish endeavour, I don't mm. think. You know, I think if you're living a life with purpose and, and goals, I think that's a great and we can construct this in any way, um, I, I suppose. But I think uh, it's great for kids to see their mums or dads growing up, doing what they love, going for it, with being able to still have the time for them. Mm. You know, and that's one thing that I don't compromise on. Um, and that, you know, the lifestyle of my husband and I both work remotely, which has always given us that the ability to travel and be wherever we want to be in the world. And we are always with our kids, you know, just not now. There was grandma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they have tried to come in several times. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I just, I don't budge on that. Whereas then I look at someone that's got a nine to five job and, you know, in their head, they're, they're doing the responsible thing too. Mm. But they see their child maybe in the morning before they go to work and maybe for 30 minutes at bath time. And that's mm. not, that's not for me. Mm. So everyone's got their different ways, you know, of, of raising their, their family <laughs> and, and, um, coping with the responsibilities of parenting and career. Yeah. And it's not easy jungle. Yeah. 
And I think you're totally right. Like, I no think reason. whatever works yeah. for you doesn't necessarily work for somebody else. But I think there's, because I, yeah, I really struggled for a long time of understanding whether I wanted to be a working parent or be a stay-at-home mum. And for a long time I thought to be a good mum I had to be a stay-at-home mum because that was me dedicating my time to my my girls and to their well-being. But I also, I think, you know, now almost six years into parenthood, I realised that if you are nourishing you as a per like that has to be priority and they can be carried and see different things from you that hopefully they will take on into their futures because, you know, they may not have seen that otherwise. But having said that, obviously, if there are, I I know some amazing stay-at-home mothers who are made for that. So, yeah, yeah, it's just- And that's their choice. Yeah, that's their choice. But, you know, I mean, if you take you, for example, you're goal-driven, you've always had a goal, you know, of some sort, you're motivated, you work hard, did you really expect that you were <laughs> not going to want to, you know, set another goal for yourself? Yeah, like it's, really? It's it's funny because today I um I got so nervous before this interview and I had like the butterflies in my tummy and I did a nervous poo and I'm like, oh, this is like how I felt before competition. <laughs> like, yeah, I love what I'm doing now. And I've missed that. Like yeah. I've missed, uh, you know, not the nervous poos, but like I've missed that feeling of like really yeah. being passionate about what I'm doing. And, you know, it's yep. so nice to be able to share that with, with your children as well. Absolutely, and encourage them to do the same. So we, in our family, we have my time, you know, and that's not just my time, but it's my kids' time. They can go and have their time where they are just by themselves in their thoughts, thinking about what they want to do, you know, and, and, and we really encourage that, you know, just to, in the piece of the day, find a little pocket for you that is, you know, nourishing, nourishing and supporting and feeding for me, it's yoga, it's surfing, it's, you know, going for a run. It's my time. And without that, I'm not a great parent, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because then your worlds get mixed and mashed. And I think you need, I'm used to compartmentalizing, so I need that time away to come back refreshed and ready to go. And I don't cope very well if I try and do 100 million things at, at once, mm. be a good mum, check emails. You know, it's really, you know, I, I'm pretty... I operate pretty loosely, but I know that I perform the best when I'm just trying to do one thing at a time. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, I'm flexible, but that's what I know, you know, that that's how I get stuff done. Oh, I resonate um, so much with that. That's so true. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to know how you knew it was time to kind of stop competing. What was that moment for you? Did it, did you know like well ahead of time or was it spur of the moment? I think I would. I spent about eight years transitioning out of sport. Mm. <laughs> you know, I actually um, planned to retire after the 2014 Olympics. I thought, all right, that's up. it's enough. If I get to perform this new trick that I wanted to do, which I did, and, you know, miraculously as well came away with another medal, which, as you know, they're not easy to win. <laughs> um, you know, I thought I really tried to, and I had another baby after the 2014 Olympics, so it kind of went, you know, baby Olympics. Baby, <laughs> and I gold thought, medal right, baby, bronze stop. medal baby. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to stop. And I got two in two years into stopping. I hadn't announced retirement 
at all because I was still thinking. And I'm kind of the person that if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And if I haven't said it yet, I'm still thinking. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't retire. And I got nearly two years into, you know, obviously um, Alec, my, my second born, and, and, you know, switched the focus into business. Um, and then after some time, got that pull, you know, that feeling of I really miss being an athlete. I love it. You know, I, lo- I still loved the whole process of it, the training, the competition, the traveling. And I missed it. I missed the feeling of that adrenaline every day. And, and the funny thing was, and I talked to my husband about it, and I said, I think I want to go back. And, and, and he's like, why? <laughs> <laughs> and my family were like, why? And I'm like, I'm not actually sure. I don't know, but I think I want to go back because it wasn't to win another medal, actually. Mm. It, it is, but it, it wasn't entirely. Um, and it wasn't to do the hardest trick anymore. In fact, I said right from the start, I'm like, I don't want to do triples anymore because I knew my body couldn't handle it because it was already struggling, you know. And so and I couldn't figure out why. And I thought, well, I'm just going to start back again and see if it's what I want to do. And if it's not, then I can just say goodbye. You know, say see you later. I'm done. And that was a nice chapter of my life. So I just started and I was stepping up on the water ramp where we train in the summer months and, and land into a swimming pool. You have a very fancy one now. We do in Brisbane. You know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And I wish that was around when I was competing. Um, but anyway, so I was up onto the water ramp and I was in Switzerland where I'd been training and um, with my coach and started jumping again and that buzz before you jump, the feeling of being airborne, the constant tinkering and refinement, you know, of technique. You know, try I think I've got a lot out of like doing a jump and then getting the feedback, you can do this better and then going and doing it. Mm. And that for me is like that is so much fun. It's so nerdy, but it's so much fun. So I started jumping and I'm like, well this is it. This is why. I looked around me, I'm like, I'm in Switzerland, I'm with all the people that I love, you know, my friends are here. I'm doing something that this is why I'm here. And so people were like, why would you not want to do triples? Why would you go back, like to go, you know, just to go to another Olympics? And I'm like, it became about saying goodbye to the sport. Yeah. And the lifestyle and people. And mind you, you know, going into Pyeongchang, I'd had a couple of World Cup wins coming into there. I was still right there with a shot of winning. But I changed coaches, team wasn't quite right, you know, things didn't feel, you know, as they were before in terms of my A team and I was probably a little bit cocky and thinking, well, I've had so much experience, I can handle anything mm. kind of thing. But I think your coach really makes a big difference <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> on reflection, they're pretty good at what they do. <laughs> on reflection, yes. And, you know, Pyeongchang, I was jumping very well, got to the qualification round just brain wasn't there, mm. just not there and trying to get it there, <laughs> you know, but wasn't there, just wasn't, wasn't, you know, when you just have a bad day, when you just can't seem to get behind that, that, that laser focus and that zone and that was one day, mm. you know, I hadn't, I hadn't crushed a jump in the whole preparation in Pyeongchang and then when it came to the performance times that, you know, I fell short. So. What do you, what you know? It is what it is, and it's totally disappointing because yeah, I knew I had another chance at a medal, but the process when I look back was about ending sport on my terms, yeah. not on other people's, yeah. not on a high, 
you know, on my terms. And those that last couple of years gave me the the opportunity to be with younger team members and to remind them of what the opportunity that they have and really enjoy it and embrace it, um, to be a bit of a leader of that, that team, I suppose, but also to say goodbye to people, to place, and to, to a sport that I loved and was involved with for many years. And I'm so glad I did it. Mm. You know, win, win or fail, like, it doesn't matter because everything was on my terms and I put everything I could into it. I think that's what every athlete dreams of is to end their sport yep. on their terms, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it didn't wasn't the outcome, but, gee, it made me appreciate my great performances of the past mm. and, you know, got home and got those dusty gold medals and Olympic medals out of their thing and just was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I, I appreciate you more now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> You're really hard to yeah. win. <laughs> I usually um, ask at the start, but, you know, I just got straight into it with you because <laughs> I'm just so fascinated. Um, Sorry. No, 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 you're so fine. I, I want to know because I, I think – from the outside looking in, a lot of people go, well, the Olympic gold medal must be the thing that you're so proud of. That, that must be the thing that gives you the most pride from your sporting career. Um, and I know just from my experience, that's, yes, obviously, that's the, the pinnacle yeah, of every, of yeah, that's mm-hmm. a pinnacle of everyone's sport. But I want to know from your perspective, the moment or the achievement or the performance that you are most proud of from, from your career. Certainly, yeah, the win in Vancouver because just because of what, you know, I was fighting off, I suppose, to get there and the fear and, you know, what had happened four years earlier and the drama of it and and then competing, you know, triple somersault like I wanted to, to the level of the men, which was my ambition, mm. you know. So it wasn't just the gold medal. Um, even if I came fourth, you know, doing that, I would have been proud of myself, but to reach the pinnacle and that gold medal performance, doing the tricks I wanted after coming back from back to knee surgeries when no one thought I was going to be able to do it. Mm. That's what was mm. like, yes, for me. And then again for the 2014 Olympics, coming back as an athlete mum, which obviously people, you know, there, there weren't many in my sport <laughs> um, and not many around, you know. And, um, and so coming back as an athlete mum, and then going for something that, you know, no woman had done before. Yeah, that was, that was really important for me. And it wasn't the competition itself. That was amazing to get through, you know, the qualification rounds and, and have that opportunity to do that trick. But it was actually a couple of days before in training when I hadn't had the opportunity to do that trick yet. And we had cold snaps throughout the winter, which made it unsafe and, you know, average temperature minus. 25 in our Olympic training camp, which was really hard, you know, mm. hard to concentrate, let alone <laughs> safely do difficult tricks. Um, and so I hadn't had the opportunity. And then everything just started to align two days before the finals, you know, and I got the moment to, to do it. And, you know, you're at the Olympics and it was the, I was the last jumper of the session. It was nearly getting dark and my coach was like, now and ever. I'm like, now. <laughs> I'm like, green, I'm going to vomit. Wow. <laughs> and, and everyone kind of knows what trick you're doing by the arm movement that you're preparing for. And so the cameras came out because all the, like all the athletes and they, they all moved right underneath the jump and everyone's got their phones going like this, you know, and we're talking about Chinese competitors, American competitors, Canadians, whatever, Swiss, you know, they're all there going, like that, and I'm like, oh, bloody hell, <laughs> let's just get this over and done with. Mm. And so did it, 
and skied away and looked back and they're all cheering, wow. you know, underneath. They're all going, yeah, and this is the Olympics, you know, like where everyone's super competitive and like wanting to win themselves, but they stopped and realised that something cool had happened mm. and that was my moment that no one really knows about. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but for me, that was like a really like a rocky moment, yeah. <laughs> like the soundtrack was out of space. Yeah. So yeah, so and there's been a lot of little moments like that. That you know, you're on top of a mountaintop and it's like blowing a gale, and you know, no one's there to watch, but. You know, you're, you're doing your thing and you've just done an awesome jump and <laughs> no one's no one's there. It was in training, you know. Mm. <laughs> so, but definitely, I would definitely not discount the Olympic medals. They are so hard to win and such a pleasure to win. And um, I'm so glad, so glad, you know, that I'm sure you are too, that, that things aligned for those moments. Yeah. I think the way that you put it, it's like – I really believe that the greatness happens in those quiet moments where, you know, maybe not everyone's watching. Obviously, in that moment, there was a few people watching, but not the whole world. But it's the process. Yeah. No, not that. No, no one. You yeah. know, it's not the whole world. It's just a few athletes and coaches. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but they're the things that lead yeah, to those moments. Yeah, 100%, because that then gave me the confidence to then go and do it two days later, mm. you know. So, yeah, so it's, um, oh, you know, there's so many, I, I think. I hope I never lose my marbles and and um, can remember those magical moments because it isn't the medal. You look at the medal and you go, "That's beautiful," but behind that, behind the layers and 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 deep in that middle are those magical moments, all cumulative mm. and building up to to lead to that one moment. So I think it's um yeah, it's such a when I look back at my sporting career, it's, it's had its ups and downs. It was not perfect by any stretch, but I made. Um, the best of the resources I think that I had available to me and I think that's something to, you know to be very very proud of I don't look back and and regret it I know where I made mistakes mm. but I don't regret them because yeah what can you change you yeah know? you can't you can't change anything so you yeah. may as well yeah. learn the lessons that are there yeah yeah and so now like in the real world how do you how do you set goals how do you create opportunities and moments that you're working towards like how does how is your yeah. lessons that you've learned from sport transitioned into the real world I think uh, I'm a bit of a serial you know entrepreneur or ideas person so when I get an idea and you know I kind of want to execute it and sometimes without finishing something else so <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you know I think it's good to have ideas all the time and wanting to do new things and I've come to the conclusion that, you know, I'm not risk adverse. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm willing to have a crack and try things. And I, and that, that's probably been instilled in me from now, you know, many years of I've never had a nine to five job or I've never had a job other than running my own business. So that's a risk in itself. You know, I've never had security of going to a job where I know I'm going to get paid mm. or a sport where I know I get paid and that's the risk you take as an athlete you know you get injured and then it's done like it could be over in an instant so I guess used to risk taking which then allows me to take ideas and turn them into something and I think that's what keeps me ticking these days you know I really like to do that I, I get a lot of buzz out of doing that and 
I suppose the goals aren't as intense as they were as an athlete. Like I've never managed to see business as as important. Mm. You know what I mean? As as mm. the Olympic goals and and because the stakes aren't as high. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. yes, the hundreds of millions of people fail in business, <laughs> but you know, and then lots of people fail in sport. But um, I guess you know, if I have a bad day in business, it's not my life's not in danger. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world. We'll pick up again tomorrow where I think there's more at stake for athletes. If you're not concentrating and if you're not turned on, you could get hurt, seriously mm. injured or, and, and worse, you know. So I always look at business as a bit more, it's lighter for me. It's still serious, it's livelihood, but it doesn't have the same, I guess, um, consequences if I don't do well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so in terms of goals, I, I do struggle a little bit just because I'm not money-driven. I just like to create things and see them work and then hopefully they sell. Yeah, <laughs> and, and hopefully they know, help people um, and, and, you know, fill the yeah, void that yeah, is missing. Yeah, and I've never started a business with like, right, how am I going to make money, you know? It's more like the idea, the need, and then it organically goes. And I'm in for the long haul. It's not a quick fix, you know, so I'm – interested in building things for the long term. It's been such a pleasure to have you, Lydia. It's uh, honestly, I... Funny story, funny story. Uh, when my first foray into retirement, I worked for Channel 10 on Sports Tonight. And one of the first things that we were covering was the Winter Olympics in 2010. So um, that was just, uh, yeah, I felt like it was a pinch me moment to kind of be paid to watch sport. Talk about sport. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was shit at it, but, you know, <laughs> I got to watch sport no for way. a couple of weeks. Impossible. Awesome. <laughs> um, so it's been such a pleasure just chatting more about your story and your experiences and there's been just so much that I feel like I've resonated with. So thank you so much for, for sharing. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Lily. It's been great. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lydia. She is just such an incredible woman. I have so much admiration for what she was able to do, not only as an athlete. Um, <laughs> the, the biggest risk that I posed as a, as a swimmer was getting too pruney <laughs> after spending too long in the water. So the fact that she threw herself down a down a hill um, every time she competed was is just remarkable. She's a wonderful human. Make sure you check out all the show notes with all of the information around Body Ice, Body Ice Women and Ed Zone by Lydia. Also, if you can, remember to like, subscribe and review. That would be really helpful. And otherwise, let me know who you want.